Welcome to Everyone Loved It But Me. My name is Lisa Hedger. I'm your host. I'm a freelance writer, editor, and journalist in Central Ohio. This is the podcast where we analyze super beloved books, offering up different perspectives. Today's book is a very, very new book, and it's a celebrity memoir. It is Counting the Cost by Jill Duggar. And as I said, it's very new. It just came out a couple months ago. So I'm going to kind of talk about this book and give you my overall thoughts before I jump into the show. Quick reminder that you can follow me anywhere on social media, and we've got a great group of book lovers on the Facebook page. So you can find that on Everyone Loved It But Me on Facebook. And you can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, which is now X and even LinkedIn. And I look forward to chatting about this book. I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So now on to the show. All right, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to jump into this. If you are brand new to my podcast, I will tell you the format of the show. So we start with a quick synopsis of the book, then jump into the hot take. After that, I share that everyone loved it but me statistics. So that is just always to show kind of how popular a book is. I, I purposefully select very, very popular books. Then after that, go into the deep dive That's, you know, of course, where the spoilers lie. This one, a lot of these kind of quote unquote spoilers have already been out there. So I'm not sure that that there'll be any big surprises. And then finally, I end with an overlooked book. It's definitely a challenge to suggest an overlooked celebrity memoir, but I, I have one that's maybe not so celebrity memoir, but but that's similar to this category that I think fits the bill. First off, going to jump right into our synopsis. Again, this is Counting the Cost. It is a memoir. It's by Jill Duggar, along with her husband, Derek Dilliard and Craig Borlase, and it was just published in the fall of 2023. Jill Duggar was raised in a very, very, very conservative household, is essentially famous because her family was on TLC's hit show 19 Kids and Counting for many, many years. And Jill was raised to believe that, like, you can't wear pants and you can't drink alcohol. You don't go to public school. You have as many children as God allows. You always obey your father. She was even raised that once she gets married, even in even then, she still has to follow her father's beliefs that men are superior, that you can't wear anything revealing, right? To tempt men. You don't want to do that. Actually, even by the time she was like nine years old, she was then responsible for taking care of one of the younger Duggars. That's basically the way these giant families are able to make it work is the the kids that are going to a little older then become responsible, have little buddies and have to take care of these little kids. She actually enjoyed that. She's a people pleaser. I'll, I'll talk about that some more. Again, she's raised in this environment that wives and women are inferior to men. They're discouraged from higher education. Their job is is to raise children. And I'll talk about this too. She kind of struggles with 
her thoughts, even as she's gotten older uh, about these things. But this book is her memoir. She's trying to cope with a lot of trauma. And there's some trauma that she's pretty comfortable discussing and some that I don't even think she's really processed. But she's essentially raised in this very cult-like environment. The name of the church is the Institute in Basic Life Principles. It's I-B-L-P. And ultimately, she marries Derek. She goes through this very, very formal courtship where she's not allowed to kiss him until her wedding day. And then when she and Derek marry, she realizes that she's still supposed to be following her father, Jim Bob Duggar's every demand. She can't really have her own life. She's volunteering her time for the TV show. She's never been paid. And she real apparently he had her, her dad, who she did trust, Jim Bob Duggar, had her sign a document on the eve of her wedding that made her contractually obligated to the show. And he just kind of said to her, hey, I just need you to quick sign this. And she did not have any idea what she was signing. This book goes into really her healing, trying to heal, right, from this trauma. And in going back and forth with now she's in her 30s, just this whole whole life that she has experienced living most of her life on TV. So that's that's our synopsis. That that is what this book is about. I'm going to give you my my hot take on this book. I will say in terms of organization, I thought it's really well organized. I really like the way it it is written. It obviously was not an easy book to write. I think it takes a lot of bravery to write something like this. I have to say, and I'm probably going to give you the weirdest hot take that there is, but I will say as I was reading reviews, I found one or two others that kind of had had some similar thoughts. This almost reminds me of Prince Harry's book, Spare, right? And here's why. I know it seems really weird, but they both had these super traumatic childhoods. They're both raised in these very, very strict situations, right? Prince Harry, of course, you know, with the royal family, Jill with the Duggar family, but both of them are highly publicized. Both of them are sought after with the media. In both cases, certain family members are portrayed better than other family members. Okay, you have that in in both situations, you have certain family members who become victims so that another family member can be perceived as better than right. So in the Duggar family, of course, you know, Jim Bob Duggar did everything he could to protect Josh Duggar, who is in prison right now as a pedophile clearly it has been documented. Jill doesn't talk about this a lot in the book, but he assaulted her. She is a victim, but the family didn't protect her. The family protected her, her aggressor, right? The, the person who has now been convicted, they, they chose to protect him. And I feel like, like I said, kind of going back to to Prince Harry, there's times in his book where he discusses ways that he felt like one family member was protected over him. Both of them, I thought it was interesting too, because they both had documentaries. So 
Jill was part of Shiny Happy People. And again, uh, Prince Harry had done a number of documentaries as well. So if you watch those documentaries, I will say there's not a ton new in the book. There's a little bit new. But having watched that documentary, I, I felt like I, I didn't... I didn't see, I didn't see a lot of new things, particularly in the book. But one thing that I find so interesting, again, kind of comparing her with Prince Harry, is the two of them are so struggling to figure out how, where to put their family, right? They were raised by these people. They love them, but they feel betrayed by them. And they're still struggling to, to cope with should we completely separate from them? Should we still have moments where we're still connected with our family? I feel like Jill in particular is is not where she fully wants to be. Like in 10 years, if she writes the same book or writes another book, she'll be in a better place. But it's, it's taking a lot of time. And you see her in this book struggling like with her mom and struggling with, with her dad and struggling with her siblings siblings it is it's difficult I mean like it's it's painful and if if you are triggered by things like trauma sexual assault I mean heads up like this book gets into all of that I, I do think that there are some things like for instance if you hadn't read a lot about this beforehand you may not even have known that she was a victim of her own brother of a sexual assault victim because it doesn't she doesn't really get into it and even mention it until more than halfway through overall i think this is absolutely a book to consider to consider reading and especially like i said it gets into iblp it is yeah, it, it, it is something else. And now this, I want to give you this one quote. Like at one point, she is further on. This is more than halfway in through the book. Okay, so she's like having this very difficult discussion with her father. And she says, you want to know why I'm crying? My voice was cracked, my eyes burning. It's that you think I'm some kind of horrible person just because I wear pants and have a nose ring. And yet you see a girl outside who does similar things and praise her. Jim Bob had, had just seen a, a young girl wearing kind of the same kind of clothes and, and said, oh, she's lovely. Going back to what Jill says, that's why I'm crying, Daddy. I'm evolving and changing just like that girl out there. But you can't see it. You treat me like I'm a prodigal who's turned her back on you. You treat me worse then you treat my pedophile brother. I think it takes Jill quite some time to get to that moment. But to me, that's one of the most profound moments of the book. That's exactly what happens. And, and that is the kind of stuff, like I mentioned, that documentary, Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets, that was just released last summer. Both Jill and her husband, Derek, do, in fact, talk a great deal on that particular documentary, and they they share share their thoughts. So now I'm going to jump into the everyone loved it but me statistics. This is where we just really kind of share how super, super popular this particular book is. This is a unique one because it just came out. 
I don't have quite as many of the statistics as I would normally have, okay? I'm talking about this book in the middle of January 2024. This book was published in September 2023. This is only four months out. It was an instant bestseller. It was second place as hardcover nonfiction bestseller. And when you go on Goodreads, it already has more than 61,000 565 ratings and Jill had posted on social media a huge thanks to y'all for making our book counting the cost of bestseller in recent weeks an ebook hard copy and audiobook on Amazon New York Times USA Today Wall Street Journal and Publishers Weekly she posted that on her Instagram page earlier this week I believe Derek had posted somewhere that it had already earned them I think more than $50,000. It clearly has been a very quick bestseller. I don't usually talk about that many books this soon after the book has been published. Now I'm going to jump into the deep dive. As I said, I thought the organization of the book was set out really nicely. I know sometimes there's issues with celebrity memoirs where they were kind of like bouncing around and it's kind of hard to keep track. This one I thought she did a really, really nice, nice job with the organization. Perhaps, you know, a lot of help with editing. I'm not sure, but I I liked that. It still had that conversational feel. We start out, she's sledding with Derek. This is the very beginning. And, you know, Mama Duggar says in a kind way, hey, kids, The snow was soaking up the sound, and it felt like the whole world was listening. When I turned to see her standing on the front porch, my stomach dropped. She was smiling that same smile the world has seen for years, a smile that's pure innocence but protects like a shield. And her voice was full of sweetness and joy, but I knew that voice well. By that point in my life, I'd been obeying it for 23 years. I knew what was coming next. No boys and girls on the same sled. Yes, ma'am, I said, jumping off the sled immediately. But Derek didn't move. At least he didn't back away from the sled, the scene of our crime. Instead, he was looking around. He was trying to figure out who my mom could have been addressing like that. Some of those little duckers, maybe? A second passed, then another. Finally, he stopped searching. His face shifted from curiosity to something like bewilderment. He turned back to the big house, called out, I'm sorry, Mrs. Duggar, and got on his feet. I thought that was a great place to start, you know, starting in in her early 20s and just basically setting you straight up on this is how this family is. You are not allowed while couples are quote unquote courting, you're not allowed alone with them. A parent is somebody needs a guardian, essentially an adult needs to be supervising every minute of every interaction. There's no kissing until the wedding day. Like that, I thought really portrayed it. And it really portrayed, you know, her mom, if you've ever seen this show, the the Duggar family show on TLC. I mean, she's always like that. She's always got that sweet smile and she's always, you know, Michelle Duggar looking so happy and, and sweet. And I, I thought that that really set it up very nicely. Then it kind of goes through, then she kind of starts to take you through her childhood, right? Talking about how, of course, the parents didn't believe in magic. They don't believe in dancing. They call her 
sweet jelly muffin and she really craves affirmation. I would say, you know, if you've ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, that is her love language. And certainly for a person or kiddo like this raised in this cult-like environment, it's not great to have that love language to seek that affirmation because she's not able to, you know, make her own choices. She's not able to to do anything. She just has to obey, obey, obey. For instance, she says at one point, for an approval hunter like me, being compared to my mom, like that was the greatest praise I could ever wish for. Mom was calm, self-sacrificing, and entirely loving. One thing that I think she still grapples with, and that's where I thought this kind of reminded me a little bit of Prince Harry, is she still looks at her early days of childhood and says, wow, it was a wonderful childhood. And I don't feel like she's kind of processed that because I think she wants to have had that lovely childhood. And it, it's hard to look on it and say, oh, you know what? It wasn't so great. That's that's very painful. That is is very, very painful. What continues to, to happen in this book is we see Jill evolve. We see her go through this courtship with Derek, you know, which for those of us who are not raised in this environment, it it kind of is baffling, okay? Because Jim Bob started having these conversations with this guy, Derek, who's a who's a missionary. And then Jim Bob puts Derek on speaker. And then Jill is listening and then talking to Derek over the phone. And, and literally, they're engaged after, I think, only knowing each other. It was a matter of weeks. Because of the way everything was set up with TLC, you know, Jill knew, like, you know, her proposal was going to be covered by the TV show. And every big piece of news had to be covered by the TV show. Michelle Duggar had given birth a number of times. The other, you know, Duggar women had all given birth for TV. Like when I say Michelle Duggar had given birth a, a number of times. Yes, you know, but I mean, given birth publicly on TV, okay, where her entire birth was being recorded. By the time Jill gets to the point where, where she's pregnant, they go, they get married and I was impressed because Jill said, nope, we're going to do a private honeymoon because she felt like her brother, Josh, when he got married, you know, they filmed the whole honeymoon. Well, of course, the advantage of them filming the honeymoon is their TLC is paying for it. And, and Jill talks about that, too. She talks about how they're in this really, you know, giant family. They're in this teeny tiny house. Then once they started filming the TV show guess what? The TV show starts paying when they would go grocery shopping. The TV show is paying for them to, to eat out. So guess what? They're having these really lovely, better meals, right? Better things that they want to eat and, and things like that. So obviously the family is getting paid. Jim, Jim Bob Duggar, that's the patriarch, he's getting all the money. And as Jill becomes an adult and gets married, she's still not receiving any money. She and her husband, Derek, once they start to get married, they say, hey, you know, we don't want our honeymoon filmed. We don't want our first baby birth being filmed. 
And then she finally comes to realize that that document that she had signed was essentially con- making her p- part of this contract with TLC that she knew nothing about. Then she starts to realize, like, hey, wait a minute. My, my parents, are they really protecting me? And, and this takes Jill a long time. And here, here's another really good quote where she says, though I love my parents, and it made a lot of sense that they would want to protect and care for their child, I couldn't help but think about the lengths that Pop had gone in order to guard Josh's privacy and keep him from being publicly humiliated. I mentioned this to Derek, and he said he had noticed the same thing. Because, you know, I, I don't want to make this book or this this show right now so much about Josh Duggar. Okay, he's he's a creep. And but he didn't just screw up one time. It was multiple, multiple, multiple times. Right. He absolutely assaulted his, his sisters and, and then he, you know, got in trouble other ways. It continued to happen over and over and over again. That is what I think it takes Jill a really, 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 really long time to realize that, hey, my family was not protecting me. They, they were protecting him. And that, that's painful. That, that is absolutely painful. So, and, and then she talks about how she, she has anxiety and panic attacks. She's a very, very difficult birth she felt a lot of pressure from her family to to have a birth a certain way. She ends up having a C-section. And finally, when she and her husband say, you know what, we're going to leave the show. That's when she starts to realize how much money her father had been given. And she actually realizes it was $8 million, $8 million with an M, $8 million. Finally, they, you know, he does agree to, to give them a check, but it is after these very, very like painful, painful discussions and painful negotiations. And for Jill, like every time she tries to do something, that goes, quote, against how she was raised, like getting her nose pierced, like having a glass of wine or a cocktail at dinner. She has these huge, huge ramifications. She is distancing herself. She's getting, you know, text messages from all of her family members. I wanted to read a, a quick review. This is one that says... I privately hope to see more deconstruction of her upbringing and beliefs in this book, especially following the excellent Shiny Happy People documentary. Jill is not critical of Michelle, despite how clear it seems to me that she has an enabled and supported Jim Bob behind the scenes. All of that said, the deconstruction and healing come in all forms, and I found myself so happy for Jill and the emotional work she's done. I agree with that, right? That's kind of what I was trying to say earlier. I think she's in the middle of this process, right? And I just think it's so hard 
to that you were raised to to love your family and then to to realize kind of what they've done to you that's not easy and it is interesting that she does she is very supportive of her mom she talks a lot about her her mom coming and spending time with her she her mom was still at she trusted and wanted her mom at all of her births that was very important to her I think that there are a lot of things that has been ingrained, obviously, you know, loving her mom, right? She loves her mom. How can you just suddenly say, I don't love my mom? It's complicated. It's very complicated. I mean, we've got a lot of pages are dedicated to can she wear pants or not, right? I mean, that seems silly to those of us who've raised wearing pants, but it's not to her. She was taught that that was wrong. Right. So this is on page 192. Uh, she basically asked her her husband, like, do you think that's OK? You know, and he I think it's even hard for him to believe that she it's such a big, big topic for her. And, you know, she says the discussion was over. She said, I kind of agreed with him about the rule belonging to another culture, but I was kind of annoyed with him as well. It wasn't fair, but somewhere deep inside of me, there was a part that wanted Derek to tell me the pants were wrong, just like Pops always had. Growing up, having the world divided into thou shalls and thou shall nots by Pops or IBLP ideology made life appear easier. I had grown up believing that if I just followed the rules, I would be okay. I guess that belief started to crumble when I learned that Pops had manipulated me into signing the contract. Maybe authority wasn't always trustworthy. Instead of just getting Derek to decide for me, I thought over our conversation and decided to pray and study the issue more myself. And she started talking with some other people that she respected other godly women she describes them as godly women that just happened to wear pants and a nose ring it didn't define them one thing about pants kept on troubling me though even if i didn't think they were sinful there was the bigger issue of my parents wishes to consider if i started wearing pants it would likely be seen as an act of rebellion against them and i really didn't want to be viewed that way by either my parents or the press the way I saw it, I was already in enough spiritual peril without adding another potential judgment onto my back. Then one of her other sisters also finally started wearing pants. And what's really interesting, this would be my karma when she finally makes, I mean, this is a big decision. She has spent weeks trying to figure this out and they finally go to this park. She decides to wear pants. And of course, sure enough, her family is there. <laughs> she tries to avoid them, you know, but but they're there. I apologize. I was just uh, turning the the page for a second and she goes to Tugger clan and just arrived mom and pops Jana and nearly every other sibling that were still at home ready for the thrills of a day at Silver Dollar City there was no TV crew but she essentially tried to to go through and and avoid them then it was a few days later after that Silver Dollar City trip I was over at the big house and her pops says to her, were you wearing pants the other day? Well, not exactly. They were legging. So yeah, kind of. I was 26. But pops was looking at me like I was 12 again. 
Pop stood up and started pacing. Never a good sign. You know, Ginger called and talked with us about her decision before she started wearing pants. The words stung. Even though she told me that they'd given her a hard time, too, I felt like he was finding me guilty of a double sin. Not just wearing them, the pants, but failing to meet the standards Ginger had set when she told them. Then, I mean, here's how she feels in her late 20s. She said, I cried when I got home. I felt embarrassed, humiliated, even though nobody else had been in the room with us. Pops had told us ever since we were little that we needed to be able to stand up for our convictions, even if others disagreed. Why couldn't he see that by deciding to wear pants, I was doing exactly what he taught us. All my life, I've been trying to show respect to Pops. But when was he going to show the same to me. Listen to that. When was he going to show the same to me? What's really interesting is she does say she takes a lesson from Ginger, right? He mentioned Ginger had called us when she decides to get her nose piercing. She says, I called Pops and Mom first. Pop's phone went to voicemail, which was a relief, and I kept my message as brief and courteous as possible. Mom picked up, but aside from thanking me for letting her know, she didn't have much to say. The piercing itself was uneventful. The voicemail that was waiting for me from Pops when I got out, that was another thing altogether. He pleaded with me not to do it, told me I was making a huge mistake. He begged me to think about how it was going to affect my little sisters. He said I was ruining my life. The words hurt, but the pain was eased a little when I spoke to Mom later. I'm glad you did not answer his call, she said. Her voice as loving and kind as ever. He wasn't in a good state of mind. That's what she's going through in her late 20s. She's feeling horrible about getting her nose pierced, right? He's still trying to control. He's still trying to control. This is something she's going to continue to to grapple with. No question about it. Okay, so overall, I I enjoyed this book. I do think Jill is going to continue kind of struggling in terms of dealing with her family, right? Like, I think I said that at the end of Harry's, I think I remember saying he's not quite where he needs to be, right? Like, he hadn't gone through kind of all the maturity and all of the, the processing. Jill, I feel like, is more of a mature person. Like, she's had to be. She has definitely done a lot of maturing, but I don't know that she has healed in the same way and still processed her family members, you know, for who they are. I think she's in the midst of it. She And she's done a lot of work, but unfortunately, I, th- I think there's still more work to do. And, I, and she basically agrees with that synopsis as well, you know, because she's, she's evolving and she's trying to figure out these boundaries, how her family fits in. Now I'm going to jump into an overlooked book. As I said, quite candidly, you know, it's hard to go with an overlooked celebrity memoir because, you know, celebrity memoirs usually are not that overlooked. So I'm going to go with, I have mentioned this one, I think in the overlooked category before, Monique and the Mango Rains, Two Years with a Midwife and Molly. It's by Chris Holloway and John Bidwell. It is nonfiction. 
in this book also I didn't get into it as much but Jill does talk about doing a lot of missionary work and living um, overseas and she really loves that aspect of life and she and Derek do that quite a bit so this book that I'm suggesting has to do with the you know it's like this story of Monique Dembele who is a midwife who essentially becomes kind of a legendary midwife and this book takes place and tells you so much about you know again women and childbirth in Africa the roles that, that women are, are faced with you've kind of got some rebellion you have joy you have tragedy so you have a lot of the different things a lot of the different themes that you have in this particular book look there's definitely a hierarchy in in this book right here in Monique and the Mango Reigns where of course you know men are in charge so you have some of those cultural issues as well and religious issues that that you're you're dealing with in counting the cost I highly su suggested this one has been out for I think was written Yes, in 2006, so a long time on Goodreads. It has just 4,805 ratings. It is definitely, definitely overlooked. I would definitely recommend it. I want to thank you so much for listening to the show. As I've said, I love, love to, to hear what you think, to get your reactions. Please feel free to reach out. The website is everyoneloveditbutme.com. You can also find me on Twitter. It's now X, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Instagram, I try to post quite a bit. I love to get comments. Feel free to reach out to me. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what you think of the, the books. And if you've got that Everyone Loved It But Me book you'd like to see me discuss, please reach out to me. I hope that you have a lovely day. And most importantly, I hope you get time to read today.